Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Whether you're saving for college, retirement, a rainy day fund, or long-term goals, Navy Federal can help you start planning with their free savings accounts. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. All right, I'd like to welcome Dan Fry, an Army veteran, uh, co-founder of FieldMed, which is a community health software platform, which sounds pretty cool, Dan. I'm looking forward to talking about that. Before we get to talking about business and entrepreneurship, I'd like to hear what you did in the, when you were in the Army. Yeah, Joe, absolutely. So um, I got into the military um, in 89. I um, started off in the reserves. I just wanted to get some high school education. I wanted to use a GI Bill, so I started in reserves. And I actually did six months as a mechanic and I absolutely loved it. I came back to my reserve unit and after about six months, I went to my captain and said, Hey, I've paid y'all back your time. I want to join active. So he was more than happy to release me from reserves and I went active. Um, I got sent to Fort Campbell. I was in the 101st Airborne there. Um, first at the 187th uh, Rockassons infantry unit. And I would go to the motor pool every day and noticed that there was more mechanics than there were Humvees because it was a light infantry unit and um, got to watch everybody else doing all their fun training. So I actually went to my um, warrant officer motor pool and said, hey man, um, I would love to do what they're doing. So he spoke with the uh, captain at the 187th and they went ahead and sent me to infantry school and I um, reclassified as 11 Bravo and um, I was part of the um, first of 187th deployed overseas desert storm and uh spent a little over a year there and uh then after a total between the reserves and active uh, just at five years about a much shy of five years uh, my time was out and it was when they were downsizing the military considerably so um i decided to go ahead and get out and take a take my time and go ahead and got out wasn't sure what i was going to do which led to uh very interesting next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened that first year after you got out? So I got out and um, I'm an adrenaline junkie and I love the military. I wanted to make a career out of it and it was just something I'd always wanted to do. And then when I got out, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to get out and they didn't have everything in place like they do nowadays for people when they get out. And um, I just kind of <laughs> closed my eyes, put my finger on the map and, said, Hey, I've never been to Chicago. So I went to Chicago and, um, started working construction there. Ended up, it, it was hard cause I didn't have the camaraderie that I had in the military. I didn't have the friends there to keep me in check and keep them in check. And I ended up getting in a lot of trouble. I was, um, you know, in and out, got a lot of bar fights, you know, just drinking way too much. Um, just didn't know what I was doing. And I pretty much just screwed off the next year. And, uh, didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. Didn't really even care. Um, work construction jobs here and there. And then I met a couple guys at a bar, believe it or not, that were Chicago firefighters and started hanging around with them. And that's when I decided I wanted to be a firefighter. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it, it actually, uh, it turned out pretty good. I, the military, like I said, was something I was a troubled kid before I went in. And this was really the only opportunity I had to get some education and get some formal, you know, type of training 
So when I went in the military, I definitely grew up from a man, you know, grew up to become a man. I was, I was a punk kid at, at best. And um, the military definitely helped me when I started getting into fire service. Um, if I would have continued down the path, there's not a fire department in the country that would give me a shot. But with the military background and the honorable discharge and, you know, all the things, things that I learned there, especially about teamwork, was absolutely 100% how I got into the fire service, which was the next 25 years of my life. Oh, no kidding. So you're a firefighter for 25 years. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I was a firefighter for 25 years. Um, over After about 10 years after the military, about nine years into the fire service, I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I was getting in a lot of trouble, had a hard time as military and fire service often does, keeping a marriage together. Um, ended up, like I said, being diagnosed with PTSD. And, and the, I, I have a service dog actually from the military that helps me with that. Um, I wanted to do 32 years in the fire service, but after um, 22, I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, contributed to the fire service. So I always joke about, you know, my life choices and careers were fire service and military. I got a service dog and had cancer, <laughs> but it's in remission. Everything, everything works for a reason. It turned out well. So it's actually uh, spurred me on to where I'm at now in life. Wow. So as you, as you got away from being a full-time firefighter, uh, what'd you, what'd you start doing in, on the business side of things and ultimately wind up in the field of entrepreneurship? So when I was, um, in the fire service, I created a program that, um, was, uh, mobile integrated health. Um, it's seeing patients at home preemptively instead of waiting from the call. We'd actually go visit them at home and help them with their medical conditions and try to keep them out of the hospital and out of the ambulance service. Cause these weren't people that had true emergencies. They just weren't sure how to handle themselves. Um, I started that in 2000 end of 2012 with a partner on the ambulance and a doctor. So there was no software for it. And I'd always just write things down on notebook paper, what I wanted to report. I was the one that went before city councils and stuff and um, would ask for money, support the program, things like that, because it was just, we were funding it ourselves. After about five years of that, um, I decided to start reaching out to uh, people to develop my software. And um, during that time, about a year before that is when I got diagnosed with cancer, it was becoming harder to physically do my job as a firefighter. But I had this idea on the side and it just, it morphed into, I ended up teaming up with a company called Graphium, which is the second largest anesthesia company. And um, we teamed up together to form FieldMed, which is EMS, uh, community health software. And it allowed me to retire uh, actually seven years earlier than I planned on. And which is a good thing because it was just, my job was physically hard to do at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Explain to me what the concept of community health is. Uh, community health is right now in the country, and it has been for the last few years, there's people that uh, can't afford insurance or have insurance that just doesn't cover everything that they need. They're either under or uninsured. And then there's people that just, um, they elderly people that might have been married for 30, 40 years, and the spouse is taking care of them, the spouse passes away, and they don't know how to take care of themselves. Uh, a lot of these people, what they'll do is they'll call 911 and the ambulance takes them to the 
the hospital, the ER, and they are seen for things that can be seen at a, a standalone clinic or taken care of on their own, but they do not understand how to take care of themselves or when it's appropriate to call or not call an ambulance. And then a lot of them just use the hospital as their primary care doctor because of their insurance, mm-hmm. not having any, that hospital. And so it causes overcrowding with the non-one system. It causes overcrowding with the hospitals. And then it also costs um, a lot of money, which raises insurance costs. So the community health side of it is we take paramedics who are already trained in dealing with people at home. And we see these people, we, we have scheduled appointments where we go see the people at home where we'll visit them and we'll train them on their medical condition. We'll train them when it's appropriate to and not to call the hospital. We'll help them get durable goods such as wheelchairs, walkers, get them set up on meals on wheels. We'll help them get insurance, um, how to apply for insurance. So, so it keeps that overcrowding down, keeps the cost down. And ultimately it creates way better care for the patients because they're able to take care of themselves in a way before they couldn't, and they would wait till things got bad and then go to the hospital. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome concept. So, hey, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I've had a check-in and savings account with Navy Federal for over 30 years, and there's no doubt that Navy Federal gets the military community. Navy Federal Credit Union understands that whether it's a deployment, your EAS day, retirement, life in the military comes with all sorts of financial challenges. They're dedicated to helping their members regain financial stability through savings. After a year of uncertainty, it's important to build your financial confidence back up. One of the best ways to do that is to develop good savings habits. You can learn some great savings tools and tips from Navy Federal Savings Learning Center. Whether you're saving for college, retirement, a rainy day fund, or long-term goals, they can help you start planning. Navy Federal offers free savings accounts for your every need. If you want to save with a credit union that helps you build financial confidence, find out more at NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal is federally insured by NCUA. For many years, I used an electric razor because blades irritated my face. I recently used Harry's five-blade razor along with her foaming shave gel for the first time, and it was a great shave with zero irritation to my skin. Too often, we're choosing between quality or a fair price. With Harry's, you don't have to choose. They give you award-winning blades at factory direct prices. I was surprised at how long the razor kept its edge which provided many quality uses from the same blade. Harry believes in quality so much that they bought their own factory in Germany so they could own every step of the manufacturing process. For a limited time, Harry's has an exclusive offer for listeners of my show. New customers can get a Harry's starter set and a free body wash for just $3 at harrys.com slash veteran. That's over a $16 value for just $3. You'll get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, a travel cover, and a travel size body wash. It's an incredibly great deal, but act fast while supplies last. Go to harrys.com slash veteran to redeem your offer. All right, back talking with Army veteran Dan Fry, co-founder of Field Med. We're talking about community health. So, Dan, one of the things you said before the break was community health is using paramedics uh, to go see people when... Um, more, more of preventative med- preventive medicine, almost like you know, preventive maintenance, um, going in and coaching people that aren't taking care of their health by themselves very well, don't trying to keep them from calling 911, having an ambulance or paramedic showing up, clogging the ER, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm real curious, is uh, 
paramedics um, going out and doing almost uh, house calls with these kinds of folks. Is that, is that, uh, how does that work as far as good use of their time? And is that, you know, like appropriate use of their time? How does that work? You know, that's actually a great question, Joe. Um, there's, we, we've, I, I've had to answer this question several times, especially in front of the city council. Um, it's, it's a great use of their time and it's a great use of the resources because if you look at it in terms of these people are going to call 911, uh, two paramedics are going out there, they're going to see them in the home. And if the patient wants to go to hospital, ultimately those paramedics have to take that patient to hospital. So now they put them in the ambulance and they take them to the hospital. They do the report. They use whatever um, equipment in the back of that ambulance, IVs and things like that. And then they get them to the hospital. So if you take the hospital side out of it, just what that paramedic did, the average call is around 45 minutes to an hour by the time they do that. Now you're also taking an ambulance out of service that could be used for someone having a heart attack or a stroke or, or something more serious that that ambulance is needed on. And you're spending the fuel and the equipment cost and you're taking those paramedics out of service for about an hour. If you send the community medics out to see these people on scheduled visits, we're usually going in a, like a crew cab pickup truck. We still fight fires. So we have all our firefighting gear with us and we have all our medical equipment, but we're not transporting. So we just go in a pickup truck where that ambulance might cost four to $500,000 to purchase that pickup truck is, you know, with all the equipment and everything, maybe a hundred, hundred twenty thousand dollars Our average visits about 30 minutes as opposed to an hour. And we're not tying up the equipment for someone that might need it more. And we've actually showed seeing these patients a 70% reduction in the patients we see of them calling 911, taking those ambulances out of service. So it's actually a great question. And it's a, a very good use of paramedics in the field. And the paramedics are used to doing things in the field because the other thing is we work with the primary care physician of that patient once we get them signed in the program. Mm -hmm. And there are things that primary care physicians will never know about patients. Patients aren't always, you know, they don't always think about what to talk to the doctor about. And we're seeing things in that patient's home that the doctor may not be able to see. Like, Maybe it could be bottles of alcohol on the cabinet or the food they're eating or the conditions they live in. We're able to help with their health care and adjust based on certain circumstances like that. Yeah. And when the paramedics show up out in a pickup truck, are they technically on call in case some emergency call came in or are they kind of off in a, in a separate category where they're doing house calls? So um, yes and no. While they're, while they're seeing that patient, it's just like if they were um, on any other call, they're dedicated to that call. So from the time they check out to see that patient until the time they go back in the service, they are seeing that patient and they are dedicated to that patient. In between, they're available for emergency calls. So as long as they're not actively with a patient they're seeing, yes, they're available for emergency calls as well. Because mm -hmm. it seems like, especially in a city like Chicago, big enough that paramedics could spend their whole day doing calls like this really if it, if the, the work is there, I would imagine. The, yes, they absolutely could. And I'm actually uh, just outside of Dallas now. Um, after mm -hmm. about a year, I tried to get on the Chicago fire department and it was hard just because so many people were applying. I came back home. I'm originally from McKinney, Texas, just North of Dallas. Mm -hmm. And that's where we started this program. Um, when we started this program, there was only a couple other cities out there doing it and they were mostly private companies. 
there's about 1500 nationwide now. Uh, Medicare and Medicaid is starting to reimburse for it. Insurance companies are starting to reimburse for it. So it, it, it is a, they've noticed the need and they've noticed the change in the patient care and, and ultimately it helps the insurance companies the most because they're saving the most amount of money. But if you look at it on a patient side, the patients are healthier ultimately and get yeah. better, more personalized care. Yeah. You said something that made me think if, if somebody's on, if an elderly person who is on Medicare or, or even Medicaid, if they call 911 and they get an ambulance ride to the ER, does Medicare or Medicaid get billed, you know, the 10 grand for the ambulance ride typically most of the time? So they will get billed, but they don't always pay. There's um, a lot of times the way insurance works, especially with this is if you call today and you go for congestive heart failure and then you call in a couple more days and go for a congestive heart failure again, that hospital gets dinged a little bit of money because Medicare and Medicaid won't fully reimburse because they feel like you haven't taken care of the problem the way it should be. The other thing is a lot of the um, people that are calling and with the elderly population, especially a lot of it's just, they're not sure what to go to hospital for. So a lot of times when they get in that ambulance, the ambulance is going to take them regardless of bill pay or not, because most ambulances are run through the city fire department. So the city tax are paying for it. But if that elderly person calls and they go to the hospital and it's, something that insurance doesn't deem necessary for an ambulance, then that bill is now on that elderly person and it's not insurance won't pay for it. Mm -hmm. And typically like from what I've seen, (laughs) uh, an ambulance (laughs) is about 10 grand, right? I mean, yeah, it depends on what it is. If it's just a dry, if it's used more so as a taxi, just pick up that patient, drive them just bare minimum. That's $1,500 just yeah. to drive them somewhere. And that's right. if nothing is done. So yeah, they can definitely get expensive. And so I guess what I was getting at is if, if it's, if it's typically 1500 or 10 K for yes. ambulance ride, um, it doesn't take a whole lot of community, uh, no. community health care to prevent. If you just prevent one person from taking one ambulance ride every year, then it's more or less paid for itself. Uh, absolutely. We had in our first year of our program, we had one guy that, um, had racked up a bill in the first, we, we tracked everybody the year before for uh, 12 months before we see them. And then 12 months after they're out of the program. And then the whole time during the program, obviously, but he had racked up $794,000 with our local hospital in the 12 months before we started seeing them in the 12 months since well in the time since he joined the program through the program which i think he was in our program about nine months and then the 12 months after his total bill was just over 1700 dollars. that's crazy um field med it's it's not it's not a it's not a non-profit right it's actually a a regular it's a regular company and what we actually do is there was no software for reporting this so i noticed there was a lot of there was no way to track and trend when I was going to council meetings. And when I was talking to people, they were asking for proof, proof of the program, proof of what we're doing. Can you show patients outcomes? Can you show the money you've saved? Well, the true way in healthcare to show money saved, it's kind of strange because if you keep them out of the hospital, it's not, they don't consider it as money saved. It's just money not spent. So uh, what we had to do is show patient 
outcomes were improving. There was no way to do it. So when I teamed up with this company, Graphium and Form Field Med, our goal was to make community health software. Um, since then, it's actually grown. We have telemedicine now because paramedics for the hip, I've been a paramedic for 25 years or 26 now, and um, we never had telemedicine. Telemedicine wasn't a thing for paramedics. It was doctors and everybody else, but why not? We're the ones in the people's homes. So now it's getting a lot bigger, especially with COVID. So our company, we also do telemedicine and then we also have EMS 911. So we do the ambulance side as well, but our company was founded based on that community health software. So yes, we are a for-profit company. And so uh, another question I have is how is, um, how is the community health concept? I understand, I get how it incorporates people that are already paramedics and the transportation involved, but uh, how is it differing from like in, in-home nursing care? Cause there's a lot of that, especially among the elderly where a lot, a lot of nurses in home doing a lot of in-home care, nursing monitoring and that kind of thing, like almost daily or weekly. How does that differ from the paramedic program? So the way it differs from the paramedic program is we, one, we operate 24 seven. Um, it's a combination of your EMS 911, your home health, and your doctor's visits. Um, paramedics in the field are actually able to do more than nurses are allowed to do. Uh, nurses have their protocols and they're trained to work in a clinic, in a hospital, places like that, um, that are directly under doctor's supervision. So they have their set of protocols. Paramedics are trained to work out in the field. So we're autonomous from everybody else. We work by ourselves. And if that doctor's, uh, Texas. Texas is uh, the best example of this. If a doctor says we, a paramedic can do it in the field, we can do it. We can innovate patients. We can. There's so many things we can do that nurses aren't able or allowed to do. The other thing is uh, you can pay paramedics less. <laughs> I hate to say that because I'm a paramedic, but it actually saves money because you can pay us less. So the program works better um, financially for a lot of you know doctors and hospitals because you can pay a paramedic less. Now there are programs out there that do run with nurses. Some run with PAs and things like that. Um, there's a lot of programs out there that there is no national standard right now for community health. I actually sit on a committee that is coming up with the compliance um, for community health nationwide, but right now there is none. Um, we're working on it. So for as many programs out there, there's that many different ways to do it. But the short answer for your question is paramedics are able to do more in the field than nurses. And we are used to seeing people in the field where others don't. And one of the big things we do is home safety evaluations, which they don't do the same kind of home safety evaluation as we do. Mm -hmm. Now, most of the paramedics that are working for your company, are they already employed with a local uh, fire department or, or some local city agency like that? Or, or are they, exclusively working for your company? How are you integrating that with the current local services? Well, so our company is just the software company. So we just provide the software for it. Now I do um, consult with several cities around that are starting up their programs. And that's one of the things that I, I do just because I believe in community health and how important it is. Obviously, ultimately, I'd love everybody to that starts a program get our software, but I consult with them for free. 
I don't charge anything. If a city wants it, I'm consulting with one in Del Rio right now, a private company mm -hmm. to help them start community health programs. And I, I do that because I just, I, I love community health and, and I think it's important to give back. So I do that. Hopefully they use our software. If they don't, I don't care. I'm still going to consult with them, even if they're using someone else's. And what's the primary, what primarily, what does your software system do? Is, is it mostly expense and savings tracking or does it integrate the whole process? Uh, in, in the whole process, um, when you have your, your healthcare software, like if you were to take an ambulance ride, which is something most people would understand a little more, is from the time um, you call 911, there's a report started on that patient and dispatch puts in their notes and then and that's, that those notes are pushed over into the software that the paramedics report on. They show up and it takes all the patient's demographics, their addresses and everything. And then the, pay, the paramedics will write and trend and track everything that they do in that report. And then at the end, they hand it off to the hospital so they know it was done. And then they send it off to a company to bill for. That's what our software does on the community health side. The difference is we do trending and tracking. So we will trend the patient's use. We have graphs where we trend patient's healthcare because in the community health model, you see patients time and time again for, depends on what the issue is. It could be a month, it could be a year. And that whole time we will trend and track everything with graphs. Um, you can pull up all the reports. So it's just software that captures everything that's been done for that patient while they've been in your program to show improvement and to help you come up with care plans to adjust what you're doing for that patient. Interesting. And you, did you, you were starting to work on this program while you were still a firefighter? I was, I was, I, I would just, <laughs> I took a notebook and I would just write things down, write it down, notebook, write down notebook. And you know, it's funny. So Th this is this is what I would love to say to everybody out there, you know, from the military up to the fire service, you know, I, I learned you just you don't quit. You just believe in yourself and believe in what you're doing and work hard at it. I um, I love the community health program. I didn't make any more money. I, I, I ran more hours than any other fire department in the city or firefighter in the city, but I loved what I did and I believed in it. And I kept doing it. And. I would write all this stuff down. I searched for a while for a software company and I heard everything from it's going to cost $2 million to $5 million to crazy numbers to get this going, to get this developed. But I knew what I wanted to see and I knew it was the right thing. And I kept reaching out to people. And then I found this company that believed in what we were doing and an investor that believed in helping people the same way I did. And they gave it a shot. And after five years of writing stuff on notebook paper, I designed it all, came up with it in my head, came up with the idea how I want to. I know almost nothing about software. I, I, I know a lot more now than I did, you know, when I started this year and a half ago. Yeah. But I found the right people. I found people that believed in what I was doing, and I just kept going. And I knew I had to do something to get this yeah. going or just give up, and I didn't want to give up on it. And, and that's a really great point, you know, especially – a lot of a lot of folks getting out of the military, military spouses. Yeah, they may have an idea for a software system, and they think, "Well, I'm going to need to become really good at writing software in order to do this." And the fact is, you don't. Um, what you knew was the process, the the manual yeah. process that all of this and that was involved in all of this, and you just wrote down the processes, and so you kind of yeah. turned over your raw notes 
to programmers, developers, coders. And then when they gave you back, you just went through and, yeah. you know, gave them feedback saying, no, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. Is it, that's basically the process. Uh, yeah. Basically it. I knew how to make PowerPoints. I made a very <laughs> crude PowerPoint on what I thought I wanted to see. And I presented it before these people and these guys, I mean, half of them work for Adobe for 10, 15 plus years. They've had their own companies that, and I'm presenting this before them with a PowerPoint and, and I know inside they're laughing, but they were able to see what I wanted. And I would say on the software side, if you're looking for somebody to develop your software, getting it developed is very, very expensive, but it's not even half of the process marketing it, selling it, find the people that's hard. My suggestion would be find a partner that wants to do it with you that knows the ropes. Because if I did not have this graphene that already had software out there um, and, and they didn't come and say, I want to buy your company. I want to buy it from you. They wanted to partner up. So I, I formed an LLC and they already had theirs and we came up with this third company. If you can find someone that will partner with you and walk you through it, that that's honestly, that would be my best advice because I did not know what I did not know. And I thought I wanted somebody to develop so I can go sell it. It wouldn't, it would have failed the first month. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, a few episodes back, I interviewed Dan from uh, my mastermind group, actually, and uh, he owns a software development company. That's one of the things he said was on advice on if somebody's got an idea for a software program or an app. The first thing he said was clearly define how it is you're going to market it and sell it first. How yes. you can do that, and if you if yeah. you've got a really good plan for that, then go back and consider developing the application. But otherwise, if because yeah, it's just not going to sell itself. It, it does. It, it absolutely is not going to sell itself. And if you know the audience and you know what you're talking about, then you'll get somebody to listen to you. I actually, when I was going through these guys, it was like a mini shark tank. They would set up a meeting every Monday and they wanted to know my development plan. They want to know my sales plan. They want to know my business plan, marketing, plan, so on and so on. You know what I would do? This is no joke. I was a firefighter. I was military and firefighter. That's what I knew. I'm a paramedic. I like to think I'm a good one. I have no clue about business or this. They would say we're having a meeting next Monday. So that week I would backwatch every episode of Shark Tank I could. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. And I would make a business plan. I would make a business plan based on what I thought they wanted to hear based on what I heard on Shark Tank. Same with my sales plan, everything. I would watch Shark Tank over and over and over knowing the questions that killed these people. And then I would just take notes on it and I would come up with something and I'd have a meeting. And I know they knew that I had no clue what I was talking about, but they also knew that I was trying very hard and I was willing to put everything I had into it. And that's what they liked. They knew I wasn't just going to go, I got the software deal. I'm walking away. I still, I'm, I'm, I still work 12, 14 hours a day and I love it. It's, I'm not an office person. I'm still an adrenaline junkie. It's hard, but it is what it is. You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's awesome. We love, we love Shark Tank. I mean, you can learn, <laughs> learn so much from it. As a matter of fact, like you get so good at watching Shark Tank when you, when you, sometimes these people show up and they're like, you're like, How, why are you even on the show? What do you mean you don't have any sales yet? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. <laughs> That's where they're coming from. <laughs> the one thing my pet peeve on Shark Tank is when somebody says, um, or, or like Mark Cuban, I, I want 51% of your business. That guy's like, oh, you know what? I can't do 49. He goes, I'll give you 49. I want 50. I'm like, really? It's, it's, it's that whole, 
you've got someone that's going to take this to the next level and your 49% of 10 million is going to be way bigger than your 51% of $500. <laughs> it's yeah. just, I don't think about it. Yeah, I know. It, 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 or sometimes they even argue of less percentage than that. Like, Oh, I can't give up 15%. Yeah. You think you can go 12, 12 and a half. It's like, and, and people walk away from them, you know, people walk away from the deals, which is crazy. Like you, I almost would, would not, I mean, I would almost, if, if I ever found myself on Shark Tank, I'd be like, I'm, I got to walk out of here with a deal. Cause otherwise what's the point of being on the show? I, mean, I agree. And, and another really big piece of advice I've learned over the last year that I would love to tell people. And I've learned this through my business partners and through this process is if you do end up in a spot where they say, Hey, we want 60%. We'll give think about it as, okay. Like I just said, you know, this much, percentage of this is worth way more than a percentage of a few hundred, but usually entrepreneurs. And, and when you're doing this, the first time you do something like this, like the software or something else, it's not, it, it's the start of your entrepreneurship. It's the start of where you're going in life. This isn't more than likely is not going to be the only product, the only thing you ever do. I've already got other people that I've met through doing this that are wanting to do business deals that are wanting to reach out and grow. And if, if I, because I don't have 50% of the company. I had to get an investor. So we went 50-50, but then I had to get an investor on my end. I still have a huge majority of the company, um, but I have other opportunities. You've got to get to a certain point to where you can grow things for yourself. And if you pass up that first deal because you're worried about 5 or 10%, you'll never get to that next level to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. Obviously you always want to hold on as much equity as you possibly can. Oh yeah, absolutely. You never know where it's going to go. But the the thing about entrepreneurship is, is entrepreneurship is a process. And if it's not a one and done, I'm going to, I'm going to create one company. It's going to go huge and I'm going to retire as a billionaire. Right. It's a process. And so you, you have to learn the entrepreneurial process and sometimes you learn it, you run several ideas through your process and everything fails then you grab yep. the next idea and run it through that process. And when, once you've got one that's become successful, even if you ended up with not as much equity as you liked, um, now you've got a really clearly right. different process and you just keep running ideas through that process. And so that's a, that's a great way of looking at things. It's not, it's not a entrepreneurship. It's not a one and done thing, especially if it's your uh -huh. first venture and you, and you've gotten that far to the point where investors are coming in. I mean, yeah. probably it's only the beginning. It's it, exactly. It's only the beginning and you need to, you know, I, I looked at when I started this, what percentage am I going to need to make more than I did as a firefighter? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'll be happy with that, you know, but um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a process, but it's, it's, it's a fun process. It's scary between five years in the military and 25 years in fire service. I had a steady paycheck every two weeks coming in. Didn't have to worry about it. Fire department wasn't collapsing. Military wasn't going away. I was good. When you take that stuff out on your own, it, it's a very scary. I have kids, you know, I have house yeah. payments, car payments, you know, it, it's very scary. And, and that, that fear does not go away, but it keeps you going. <laughs> it keeps you pushing hard. Absolutely. Well, hey, yeah. hey Dan, um, if somebody's interested in finding out more information on FieldMed, how do they find you? Uh, our website, www.fieldmed.com. Awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, also, if you're talking to somebody in the military on their way out, somebody that just got out trying to get into the world of entrepreneurship, 
what kind of advice would you have for him? I would say, do not give up. Do not get discouraged. You're going to have, I had the door slammed in my face more times than I had it opened. Do not give up. You know, it, 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 same thing the military teaches you. you. You can't quit. Um, just believe in yourself, believe in where you're going and keep going at it. There's, you're going to find that right ear that's going to listen to you and, and work with you. You just, you just got to keep going until you find them and eventually it's going to happen. Awesome. Well, hey, Dan, I uh, appreciate you sharing your entrepreneurial success story. And, uh, you know, it sounds like with FieldMed, you're, you're actually, you guys are pretty young and, and lean. We look forward to uh, you know, big and future success. So do I. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> All right. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.